Welcome to the podcast home of young, eerie professionals. Here, we present a variety of YEP events in audio form, including this fireside chat with Bob Mursky, Pennsylvania State Representative for the 2nd Legislative District. Young Erie Professionals is comprised of over 200 young professionals from the greater Erie area, all of varying disciplines and occupations. But it's a group with a very singular purpose, forming community and contributing to the future of Erie, Pennsylvania. We believe that by investing in ourselves today, we are investing in our tomorrow, a tomorrow both longtime and prospective residents can be proud of. In addition, YEP is proudly a program of the Erie Regional Chamber and Growth Partnership. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hi guys, I'm Ashlyn from the Civic and Community Engagement Committee from YEP, and today we are doing a Q&A session with Representative Bob Mursky, and we also have Shema and Blaine here from the committee to ask some questions. So if everyone could go around and introduce themselves, oh, we'll start with Shema first. Hey, my name is Shema Musa. Um, I'm an AmeriCorps VISTA um, with the Mercy Center for Women. Um, I actually just joined YEP in November, so I'm still kind of getting my bearings and getting familiar with the territory and things, but I'm super excited to be here. And then Blaine? Uh, hi, I'm Blaine Bruning. Uh, I'm a mechanical design engineer with uh, Airborne out in Lake City, Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, I've been part of YEP for now, I think a year and a couple months. Uh, actually, I moved up here from the Harrisburg area, so, you know, wanted to jump in and get involved. And then I'm actually an analytical chemist and quality technician at Plastic Services Network. So that's what I do. So now, Representative Mursky, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. A uh, little bit about myself. I'm a state representative. My career before that was a teacher. Uh, I taught in Erie's uh, Catholic and then public schools. I did spend one, one year in uh, Brooklyn, New York teaching and one year in Cory, Pennsylvania teaching. And um, But education is at the heart of, of my career and where my passions were. And um, while I was a teacher, uh, much like you guys, when, when I was your age, I, I wanted to get involved. And so um, a lot of my friends were in Young Year Professionals and, and I joined and I was actually co-chair of the Civic Engagement Committee. Uh, when I was on uh, in YEP, and uh, we we had the state convention when when I was involved as well, which was really cool. And um, married with um, a little boy, five years old, Robert, and my wife's Emily. She was also in Young Erie Professionals. Um, she's a little younger than me though, so we weren't we didn't coincide coincide when we were involved together. Uh, and then we have a daughter on the way in in about a month, so it's coming up fast. Um, and then just a little bit about myself, how I got involved in the community was just uh, through YEP Civic Engagement. And um, I bought a house over by Mercier's College University now. And um, the, the kids were just like, I couldn't get like I had to work in the morning and the kids were partying. And so I started a, a neighborhood watch with a bunch of the neighbors. And we started working with the city on trying to get some solutions. And I was frustrated with uh, the red tape. So I uh, decided to, uh, there was an appointment for city council. I put in for it 
I made it to the final four and I didn't make it. And my buddy was like, screw them. They're wrong. We're going to, we're going to run and we're going to beat them. And so, uh, so I did. And then we, we ran and I was on city council then for seven years. And that was an eye opener because, you know, you thought that you were going to go on and, and change the world, so to speak, or at least change the city. And you realize then like how slow government moves and how you have to build consensus and really, um, a lot of it is state money and federal money that the resources just aren't here in the local community to do the, those transformational projects that people talk about. And, um, but I enjoyed my time on there. One of the things that I loved about it most on municipal government, local government was that you can make a direct impact on someone. So for example, um, let's say water main breaks in front of your house, you know, you know who to call and get it fixed immediately for them. Or if there's the snow, a snow issue or a garbage issue or those types of things. And it's the level of government where you have the most direct interaction with the folks in your community. And, and I, I enjoyed that very much. Uh, I enjoyed it so much. I ran for mayor and uh, I came in second place in the primary um, in a six, I believe there were six people running at the time. So uh, lost to Mayor Schember. And uh, after that, I was pretty much just going to stay on city council. It was in the middle of my term and then, um, and just be comfortable with that, you know, and, and be a teacher. I was teaching at the time at Collegiate Academy, uh, AP World History and AP European History, and then freshman geography. And um, then Representative Fabrizio got sick um, with pancreatic cancer and he decided not to run again. And I just lost that previous May and, and HDCC, which is the House Democratic Campaign Committee, reached out to me and asked if I'd consider running. And um, how do I say this? After you lose, it's very hard to just jump back in. You know, it's like once you get knocked down, it's hard to get back up. Um, so I prayed on it I talked to my wife that was the first one, because if you do this and you have a spouse or, you know, she got, when I ran for city council the first time, we just started dating. And so, um, but at this point we were married and uh, she was on board and I just said, if everything aligns, then, then I'll do it. And the first thing that needed to align was representative Fabrizio's blessing to do it. And so um, he said, he'd think about it when I went and asked him about it. And he came back like a week or two later and, and said, I think you'd be good at it. And uh, he gave me his blessing and his, his endorsement. And um, I got the endorsement of um, my colleagues, county executive, the, the, um, the mayor, and most of county council. And so we, we ran the race. We ran a three-way race. And here we are. You know, we got 48% of the vote in a three-way race. And then we ran in the primary and got almost 60% of the vote. 63%, I believe, is what we got. And... Um, and so I was off to Harrisburg and it's, uh, I enjoy what I do um, in Harrisburg mostly. And we'll talk about this a little bit, I think at the questions, but um, every other week I'm there for, I leave Sunday, come back uh, late Wednesday night. Um, you try to make it home to put my kid to bed, but sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. And, um, and then I'm in town Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, uh, and then Sunday morning. But, um, but that's, that's me in a nutshell. Some of my hobbies that I like to do, I like to lift weights um, with the 
COVID, it's been hard. And uh, I like to spend time with my family. My uh, like to go down to the beach. Um, my son, we just went, we got into a habit of just walking along the shoreline and collecting beach glass. And so we have a big jar of beach glass and, and, um, and then just watching him grow, trying to teach him some sports and, you know, that kind of thing. So just living family life and, and trying to be as much in the community. It's hard w- during COVID and then spend time with my family. So. So since you mentioned that you were once a YEP member, what was your membership like when you were active? You know, it was really, um, it was strong. I think it was, um, we had some very good people and they actually have become lifelong friends of ours. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that was, um, Yep was really new when I got involved. It was probably less than five years old. And um, so we had the the remnants of that first crew that the originators and the founders uh, they were still involved, but then it was like the second wave, which kind of I was a part of. And I wasn't um, an officer or anything like that. I was much more on the periphery periphery of it. But I, uh, but I enjoyed it. I met a lot of great people through it. And one of the things that I think was lacking in the Erie community was um, an attention to the, the needs of young professionals. It was a time of the brain drain, if you will, and everyone was addressing the fact that so many young people were leaving Erie. And it was nice to have a cohort of people who were committed to this community, who uh, wanted to stay and make a difference. And, uh, you know, so there was an energy there that was exciting. And, um, and as you know, as we, we did things, a lot of things were, it was the first time someone was doing them or it was, you know, uh, and I don't know if you even do have, you know, some of these things anymore, but like the toy drive at the uh, Christmas time, you know, when we wrapped the gifts and, and that kind of thing. And then it was, um, it was actually a clearinghouse for a lot of nonprofits to uh, get a young person on, on the board. And that was like our, our big push at that point was trying to get young people involved in the community in decision-making uh, positions. Uh, and so the, the way that we thought would be the best to do that, it was through the nonprofits since we have a healthy nonprofit sector in this community and um, and so we a lot of folks went that route. I didn't go that route to, you know, really I was on a small board, but um, Erie Arts Opportunity was the name of the board. But it was it was an exciting time. It was fun. And like I said, you know, a lot of the people that, um, you know, that I met through. Yep. I'm still friends with today. And most of them have stayed in Erie. So it's, it's it was an exciting time and it was a fun time. And Definitely, um, the the people that you're meeting here are going to be influential in your future uh, in some way, shape, or form. I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but what does a typical workday look like for you? Oh, well, you know, typical is if I'm in town, it starts off with, you know, getting my kid breakfast and getting my wife and I share duties of like getting them ready and then mostly her, I'm going to be honest. And then, uh, but usually if I'm home, I drive him to school and then I come to work uh, after that. And, and I'm here in the office, uh, usually answering calls, either, you know, there'll be emails from the night before uh, we go through those. If there's any that need to be, you know, some of them, the, the staff can answer, but then some are directed towards me or we don't, you know, it's a more 
nuanced answer. And so we, we talk about that. Uh, we plan for, you know, outreach events. We plan for um, legislation that, that we want to introduce and then, um, and then just respond to the needs of the community that way. And then, you know, a lot of times you get invitations to things. And so you're on Zoom meetings like every day, um, you know, there, there's at least one or two Zoom meetings either through house policy, house budget, everything's been COVID this past year. So every day there's a COVID meeting or a COVID, you know, uh, debrief via email uh, that you have to, you know, analyze. And, and then I try to get that information out. And then the big part of the job that, um, you know, it, it doesn't really shut off is social media and um, just putting content out. And then I tend to respond to people probably more than I should. Um, but, you know, trying to be engaged as much as you can. And, um, and then on when I'm in Harrisburg, and then the day ends, before COVID, there would always be something at night. So going to a neighborhood um, watch meeting, West Bayfront or, um, you know, Glenwood um, Hills or, you know, the Mercyhurst area, there was always something going on in the evening. And so some of that stuff I would take my family to, some I wouldn't. Um, and then you just try to get involved, even if there's nothing, you know, eight great Tuesdays, you would just go and, and just listen to people, you know, listen and enjoy, enjoy the city and be a part of the community. Cause I think that's just as important. And then when I'm in Harrisburg, the day starts, um, usually, you know, I, I stay at a hotel and I stay, um, then drive to work and, um, take meetings well, now with COVID everything's zoom, but you know, before COVID, you would take meetings from like nine o'clock until 11. Then session starts at 11 o'clock. Uh, you start with the prayer and the pledge, and then you break off into your uh, committee assignments or your the Democratic caucus will meet and the Republican caucus will meet. We go over all the bills that are uh, on the vote either for that day or the following day. And we go through them all. We get the pros, the cons, who's for it, who's against it. Uh, we talk about them, we debate them, discuss them, uh, and then we come back to the House floor, usually around two o'clock, all depends, um, and then you're on the floor till you get through your votes and, and the debate. So, and then then you try to grab something, a bite to eat and go back to the hotel. And so it's, uh, it, when I'm down there, the, because we're down there, you know, just for three working days, it's very, everything's packed in real, real tight. So there's not a lot of downtime, really. Thanks for that. Um, so kind of to shift up to Erie, um, what are your favorite things like to do in Erie or your favorite thing about Erie in general? You know, I, I thought about this a little bit and I just, there's so much, um, but my, my favorite things are summer in Erie, obviously not, I'm not a winter person. I like snow, but not, I don't ski. I don't ice fish. Um, I do like uh, Wintergreen Gorge, you know, to, what, now that I have a family, it's different too. Like when I was younger, you know, you, you liked different things, much more of a social life and a nightlife. And, you know, I liked going out to the bars and stuff. And it was, Erie is very cheap to drink. When I had friends from Brooklyn that came in, they were amazed at how like, dollar import night and stuff like that. So, but now that I, you know, now that I have a family, you know, we, we take walks in Wintergreen Gorge, we go down to the beach um you know search for beach glass that kind of stuff we um teaching my kid how to ride a bike 
Um, and then just uh, enjoying, you know, some of the things that, that are quintessential eerie, you know, getting a, a orange twist, ice cream cone, and um, and then just, uh, you know, going to the zoo. You know, we have a lot of amenities. So you try to, I try to keep my kids busy, but also, you know, I enjoy those things as well. And then um, the other thing too, that I think, uh, you know, in terms of eerie, uh, is that there's so much to do that is cheap or free. And so like in the summertime, eight great Tuesdays and, and, and that kind of thing where you can go out and, and enjoy the church, the church festivals, the Polish, the ethnic festivals, Italian festival, Greek festival, Polish festival, you know, all the festivals that are out there. But I enjoy that so much. And that's part of the fabric of this community. And, and that's, to me, that's, that summertime is, is, I enjoy it so much. Um, so to go kind of back to bills and policy, um, what is one bill or policy um, that benefits Erie County citizens, but it's not really, it's lacking in public support and you feel like people aren't really talking about it? Well, you know, there's really, everyone wants money. And I think that's one of the things that's very, um, it's frustrating. There's a big need for uh, Erie's public schools to be fully funded. There are probably about $28 million shy, maybe 30 million shy of, you know, what they're, what they should get to be made whole. Um, the problem is where do you find the revenue? And, and um, you know, when you raise taxes on people, it, it, they want to see something for their, their dollar. And, and it's hard to, um, make those decisions. One of the things that I think is a simple way to raise revenue that nobody's looking at, or it's not on the agenda right now is two things. One is taxing the Marcella shale, which is in the governor's proposal for this next budget. And the other thing is um, the decriminalization and legalization of marijuana, and then charging a tax for that. My personal opinion on that would be to sell it out of the state stores. We already have the mechanisms to keep it safe, keep it secure. Um, but there's some proposals out there to treat it like a tomato plant and just let you grow it in your backyard. That's a little too loose for me it, personally. But um, but I think those are, are some of the things that we really need to take a look at because it's at the point now where Pennsylvania is behind the curve. Like New Jersey already has done this. And so if you're in that Philadelphia area, you can go to New Jersey and it's legal. And then you come to Pennsylvania and it's not. And so people are going to New Jersey to purchase it legally, and then driving across the bridge and bringing it back over. And we're missing out on all that revenue. So I think that's one thing. And the other thing too is, um, you know, using some of the revenue from that for the folks who are concerned about addiction issues, we don't have enough money for addiction treatment right now. So you could use some of that revenue from the legalization of marijuana to pay for uh, those addiction programs and getting that treatment for folks. Uh, and I think that's, um, you know, I, I'm trying to think which state it was somewhere out West, either like Oregon or one of them just legalized the, decriminalized all drugs and everything now is just treatment based. It's not criminal based. And so, um, so you see those things happening in other States. To me, it's low hanging fruit. The, the problem is the way our legislature is set up. Um, 
you know, the Republicans and, and it's not a, an issue of Republican versus Democrat, but, you know, the conservative rule in both the House and Senate so that none of these will even come up for a vote because the Republicans control the House and the control the Senate. So I could put the bill in tomorrow and it'll just sit there. No one will vote on it. It won't get assigned to a committee. If it gets assigned to a committee, it will never come up for a hearing in the committee or for a vote in the committee. And that's the frustrating thing because you can't cut your way to prosperity. You know, um, I look at it like uh, if you want to get in shape, you have to diet and exercise. Got to do both. You can't just cut and and then not not raise revenue. You got to do you know you got to do both. And and so and I'm not like a big tax and spend liberal, but at the same time. I was on city council when, you know, um, money was tight. And so you ran things as frugally as possible while providing basic services. But you also kept in mind that there's a value uh, when you have to raise revenue. You have to do it to so that you don't put everything on the credit card. We've seen what happens when you do that, when you have deficit spending. And, um, and you can't use one-time gimmicks perpetually. You know, there's only so much money in the recycling fund that, that we've been rating. There's only so much money right now that this past year, we rated the pension fund for retirees and, and put money, took money out of there. And so there's only so much of that, that you can do. There's going to have a, uh, come a point where you have to responsibly balance the budget and make some cuts to, to things that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need, but when it comes to the basics though, I think it's important to uh, make sure that we fully fund public schools, that's in our state constitution. And I think for the city of Erie, that would be a huge uh, asset. And I don't think we talk about it enough because um, they got that $14 million and, and they're still underfunded, but they're not underfunded as much as they were before. And the other thing that I think is really important that we need to look at is comprehensive municipal reform. Um, cities like Erie are hurting all across the Commonwealth, York, Reading, Allentown, Scranton, um, you know, these medium-sized cities and we, we, we lump them in with, and uh, you know, the, the Corys and the, the St. Mary's and, and the smaller cities, they're all third-class cities. So the same rules apply. And we really need to look at carving out something for those folks um, so that they're able to generate revenue uh, so that they don't go bankrupt because ends up, what ends up happening is the state comes in and has to bail them out that's where the city is right now uh, with deficit spending. You know, they went, when I left city council, we had, I think a $12 million surplus. Now they run deficits every year. And so, um, and that's only been in three years. So, it, you know, it goes fast and it, it comes at you hard. So I, I think that's, those are the two things that I think we need to talk about school, uh, fair funding for schools and, and comprehensive municipal reform. Well, I, that's fantastic to you know hear some of that. Uh, uh, as my my dad's a civil engineer, worked on a couple township boards, and anything municipal related, he's always for. Um, but in particular, uh, a question I had came from uh, one of our members. And it's actually a, not a three part question, but we pared it down to one. Um, portions of Erie County are below the national average in terms of life expectancy. Um, and for example. Uh, for someone living in the 16501 uh, in the surrounding zip code, it's roughly 63 years of age um, as the average, where the national is 79. Um, 
with that in consideration, what are some uh, PA health issues you would like to support or amendments to current um, bills or, or, or legislation that you would like to enact for improvement of local health? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to um, talk about universal health care for folks. I mean, a lot of those folks, they just can't afford health insurance. And so that's why they're, they're dying young. Um, the other thing is our infant mortality rate is abysmal for a developed country, not just in Erie County, but the United States as a whole. We need to address maternal health. Um, <clears throat> I think that's very important. Um, you know, how you take care of your most vulnerable citizens, I think, is a, is a moral judgment. And so to make sure that we take care of our, our infants and their mothers I think is so important. And let's start there. I think, you know, if, if we can't get to universal health care, let's, we have the CHIP program in Pennsylvania, but let's, let's work focus on maternal health and let's get these women the proper prenatal care that they need so that they have healthy developed babies. Because if you start out behind um, from the beginning, you, you, your life expectancy is, is already at a disadvantage from that. The other thing too that I think is important is nutrition. And we don't talk about enough this in, the, in this country at all. And, um, but if you look at our inner city areas, um, they're food deserts. And also just in this country as a whole, the cost of eating healthy is much more expensive than the cost of eating unhealthily or, you know, or, or healthless foods, you know, so they're not even foods. That's what I, the one nutritionist told me, she goes, and I have nothing against Doritos. I like them, but Doritos are not food. She goes, it's look at the back of the box. It's just chemicals, you know, and it's pro it's all processed. And, but you know, an apple costs more money than a bag of chips. And so when you have limited income and your resources are used to pay your gas, your electric and your rent, and what's left over is what you have to eat with. You're going to eat that's going with stuff that's going to fill your belly for the cheapest price possible. So we have to make sure that um, we're addressing that food insecurity and we're addressing the nutritional value of the food that that people get. I mean, that's one thing that government can do as a policy. And um, I think the other thing, too, uh, is just um, I really like what they're doing in Cory with the blue zones. And I think that's something that uh, I've spoken with County Executive Dahl Kemper casually about it briefly, but looking at expanding that Blue Zones program countywide, I think is important um, to get those healthful habits uh, out into the community and get people, uh, the group think of the community to, to think more in a healthful way. I, I think would go a long way. We And it's tough. And the other thing too, that we have to do in Erie, which some people do, and it's it's more now than before, is to embrace all four seasons. You know, everyone's outside in the summertime, but in the wintertime, um, COVID brought people out because everyone was, you know, quarantined in March. And I never saw that many people walking in Erie in March yeah. in my entire life. But it was a good thing in that sense is it got people out. It got them moving. And, and even though you couldn't really hang out with people, you know, you got to wave to them and say hello. So to get people moving, I think is just as important. We lead a sedentary lifestyle. We need to get up and go. So um, I think if we do those things, you know, as a policy, but I think locally, um, so many of those are tied to poverty. So many of them are tied to poverty. And when you have 
And not everyone focuses on 16501, but the reality is 16501 is also poor by design. We built in the 60s, and I say we, I wasn't, uh, none of us were born, but the city designed it so that all the social services, the home, all the homeless shelters are downtown. Well, all those people count as $0 for income. So that skews it already. Then you have the senior high rises and the, the high rises for folks with disabilities that are downtown. And there's at least three or four of them. Then you take the Erie Housing Authority high rises, which are in the downtown area. And all of that's in 16501. And so when you concentrate everybody who's on fixed income and put them in one neighborhood, naturally it's gonna have a low income level. I mean, that's that's the way you built it. If you build it, the, you know, people need a place to stay. They're gonna stay where they can afford it. And you put it all in one area. Um, and that was what people did back then. There was a lot of federal money for that. The, the new way of looking at things is to um, spread income levels of folks with different income levels across your community and have that much like a New York City where you have, you know, uh, everyone's just kind of cross-pollinating, you know, they're, they're within blocks, there's people with different uh, income levels and different um, housing levels. They chop up, you know, old, old places and make little apartments and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think a lot of that 16501 is by design, but we also have 16503 and 16504, which is where I grew up. That was my old neighborhood uh, as a kid. And they've changed so much as manufacturing has gone, you know, hammer mills gone, American meter, you know, all these places, um, GE's, you know, half of what it was at 10% compared to when my parents were young. All those middle-class folks left that area and there's very few middle-class folks left in those areas. And so um, we have to make sure that, that as we build a new Erie, we provide opportunities for them to advance. And I think that starts first though with it, what we talked about with the um, school funding. It starts at elementary and, and middle and high school. If you don't graduate from high school, you know, I, and I'm a proponent of the community college, you know, if it's done right. But I've said this from the beginning, if you didn't pass high school, what makes you think you're going to go to community college? You're not. We have 25% of the kids in Erie School District not passing on time. I don't know if that's changed since I left, but it was about 25% weren't graduating within four years. And so that's where I think we need to put our focus. And I think if we do that, that that'll help with all those other things because it starts there. Awesome. Well, I, that's fantastic uh, just to hear that, that it's being thought about and whatnot. Um, so we're finally gonna get to the COVID question. Um, it's on everybody's mind. Uh, so. What in your mind is a solution to assist the recovery of small businesses, specifically restaurants uh, that can be done through policy or even by the small business owners? So, you know, there's a variety of opinions, but it's, is there a particular one you are attached to? No, I'm not attached to any one in particular, but I do think there's a, things that we can do from government's side, but I also think there's things that we can do locally. Um, and I have nothing against our chain restaurants, but there's nothing that irks me more than to see a line out the door at TGI Fridays when we have excellent restaurants locally owned right here in town that have empty seats and nobody patronizing them. That blows my mind that we don't take care of our own first. 
And that's something that we can do. I think from a policy perspective, we one of the things that frustrated me the most was, and again, this is when you, the way the House works and the way the Senate works, majority rules and they run the table. If you're in the majority, you set the agenda. And when they had the votes to take the $1.3 billion in CARES money, and instead of giving it to the restaurants where it should have gone, and this is why I voted no on the budget, instead of giving it to them, they used it to fill the budget. And they said, well, that way we don't have to raise taxes. We don't have to worry about it. We'll just put this money here. That's not what it was for. That money was for those small business owners. That money was for those restaurant owners and the workers who worked there, those uh, tip workers and um, service workers. And so that was really a missed opportunity where the federal government under the Trump administration gave us this money. And instead of using it for what it was intended for, we bent the rules a little bit and said, well, we're going to put it in the health department at the state level because that dealt with COVID. And so that counts. No, that's not what that was for. And now I, I hope with this second round of um, relief that's coming from the federal government under the new administration, um, that we are a little more wise and put that money where it belongs, which I think is in the hands of our small business owners and the people. Uh, we did just pass um, uh, through appropriations and through the house, uh, some funding, I think it was 145 million for uh, restaurants and that will be sent to the county. And then the county will figure out how um, to administer that grant and distribute that money. But anything we can do on that end, I think is important because here's the reality of the situation. The restaurants have been open since July for the first week of July. They've been allowed to be open and they shut down right around Christmas time for a little bit. But by and large, they've been open that whole time. People don't feel safe. So that even if they're open at 25% capacity, 50% capacity, very few of those restaurants are turning people away at the door. It's not like, oh, we're jam-packed because we're at 50% capacity. They still have room. It's just that people aren't frequenting. People aren't don't feel safe to go. And so I don't see that going away anytime soon, even with the vaccine. Um, and that's assuming that we get the vaccine us being, and I consider myself young in this sense, you know, I'm in the younger group for, for vaccine with you guys. And so we're not going to get it till the summer, if we're lucky, maybe the fall. And so what do these restaurants do in the meantime, you know, and only so many of them have outdoor seating. And so, and you can only do outdoor for so long, like you're not going outdoors in this weather. And um, so these are complex issues. I do think though, we have an obligation, um, to do what we can. There are some bills out there. Um, for example, taking what's left of the rainy day fund and putting it towards restaurant relief. I'm a co-sponsor of that. Also, there's um, legislation to uh, do a tax holiday for, for the restaurants so that um, they don't have to pay their taxes for this year. But then every time you do something like that, you got to realize there's an equal and opposite reaction on the other side, because then you don't have that revenue coming into the state and then how do you balance the budget? And under our, uh, our state constitution, we are mandated to balance our budget every year. We can't run deficit spending like the federal government does. That's why it's so important to get federal relief because they're able to run deficits so they can borrow the money and, and run that deficit where we're not allowed. And so 
uh, we're going to be looking for relief from from our legislators at the federal level for sure. Okay. Okay. So um, to bring it back to Erie, um, Representative Harkins and yourself um, secured the twenty three million for the Redevelopment Authority um, Redevelopment Assistance Capital Program, I should say. Um, and within that, there are multiple different grants. Um, is there a particular grant that you are excited about? You know, a lot of those, uh, I'm excited about all of them, to be honest, because first off, very few communities of our size got as much money as we got. And part of that commitment was to save the Seawolves. And I think that's going to be, probably have the biggest long-term impact in Erie. It was the renovation of the, stay at UPMC Park, keeping the Erie Seawolves here. But I think, you know, for me personally, I really like what the Port Authority is going to be doing. Um, taking out that, if you've ever been to Liberty Park, uh, moving those boats that are there uh, in front of the park, and they're going to be transforming that area. One of the RCAPs was for that. And I think that's going to be an exciting project. And the other one that I'm really excited about is the market house over on the waterfront in front of the convention center. I think that has the potential uh, to be a catalyst for new development on that GAF property, private development um, by putting that public money in. And I th also think that that project is gonna lead eventually to a pedestrian bridge from the foot of uh, the top of Sassafras Street over which I think is desperately needed. So those two on the waterfront there are, are probably um, what I would be the most hopeful about. But of course, you know, I love the Seawolves too, and I want them to do well. And I'm glad we got that money committed over five years uh, for them. But there's some other good ones in there too, you know, like for example, nuts and bolts ones, Berry Plastics, um, which is over in Little Italy, they're getting money to clean up. Um, they, you know, they purchased a site it had toxic waste and stuff, they're gonna clean it up and put uh, a new warehouse there, expand onto their business and hire more people. So that is just as exciting. It's less, you know, I don't wanna say, you know, it's, it's less sexy and it's less community oriented, but it's gonna put real people to work. And I think that's important too. You know, you gotta have a balance of both, but all of those RCAPs though, they're tied to either job creation or, or transforming a community in some way. And so it's very important that they're, they're used for economic development. And those folks, those are competitive grants and those folks have to prove or show that they're going to stimulate the economy in some way. And I think that's, that's, um, that's why I'm excited about them. Okay, so the last question that we have for you, pull it back up. What actions would you like to see young professionals take to positively yeah, change I, the community? Like, yeah, Is I forgot to unmute myself and the no, process of unmuting myself, I lost all the questions. No worries. No worries. What advice do you have for young professionals? You know, Erie is one of the best places for a young professional to make an impact at your age, in your 20s, early 30s, you can come into this town and really make a difference in a way that you can't in a big city. Uh, you can't go into 
a Phoenix or a, a, even a Pittsburgh and be our age, your age. I'm not mine anymore, you know, but be in your 20s and just come in. And it's it's big enough that you have opportunities, but it's small enough that you can make a difference and and people will listen to what you have to say. I always joke around and I say like I started really being taken seriously like around 28. Like that's I feel like people give you like in your if you're in your early 20s you're optimistic and you're bright-eyed and they go and they'll they'll respect it, but I think they treat you more as an adult. Like once you hit 28 they're like you're a grown-up, you know. And so but that's a even if you're not um you can make a difference. You know, I was, I started this in my, like I started doing stuff in my twenties. And so that's what I love about this town is that um, it's for the most part, um, age isn't a factor in holding you back or pushing you forward. If you want to make a difference, there's a place to plug in. Uh, someone will take you. And what I also think is nice about Erie is there's about two to three degrees of separation. And so because the network is so tight here, um, once you start networking, you can meet a ton of people in this community who really make a difference and, and learn from them, absorb everything you can from them, because I think that's really important because they're not gonna be around forever. And we need young people people to step up in this community because you don't stay young forever and you have a chance to learn from some people who've done some really great things and I was so fortunate um, to have those opportunities and uh, take advantage of that I think that's really that's what's neat about Erie is that you know it's well within the possibility that you could be in the same room as a billionaire you know Tom Hagen from Erie Insurance in this town, like it's just, it's that small where it's not like a big city where there's this big wall of exclusion and there's like these people hang out here and these people hang out here and that's it. You know, there's, everyone's intermingling in this town because it's so small. And if you get into a network like Young Erie Professionals, it allows you to interact with people who um, are influencers in the community. And that in turn, um, once they learn to recognize you and you become familiar to them, you can strike up friendships and, and professional relationships uh, that will take you far in life. Or and even if they don't take you far in life, they're just nice to have. It's nice to know that you know the people in your community that are making decisions and, you know, that you can have a conversation with them. I, I think that's very important. I mean, I don't think of myself that way, but I, I, I'm very accessible too. You know, it's... Um, you know, that's what's neat about Erie is it's it's small enough that, you know, you can catch me at the grocery store. Okay, well, we thank you and appreciate you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this with us. Do you have any questions for us or anything else you would like to add? I just, you know, I, I did, I had a question just in terms, a couple questions and just a couple comments is um, uh, from your perspective, what do you think I should be doing for Erie? Like, what do you think the state needs to be doing, particularly for young people, but then in, also in general for the greater Erie community? That's actually a 
actually a really good question. Yeah. Like, I love that you I asked. know, I put you on the spot, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> on the spot. Yeah, I did not think in, like, a million years that you'd ask that. <laughs> I just want to jump on this because this is just discussion that I've had with my friend groups. I recently, gra- I graduated in May. So, like, I graduated okay. during the pandemic in just... I think that a lot of my classmates and a lot of the kids I went to school with are just like with the pandemic, it's just super hard for employment. Like I know kids that have put in like 20, 30 applications, hundreds even, um, and getting that call back or just, it's just so hard right now with businesses and economic development um, to like get your foot in the door professionally. So like I know kids that are like working two jobs right now just to support themselves. Like they have college degrees. I'm in that position as well. Um, where like you have all these certificates and you've done everything that, you know, the educational systems told you you need to do to succeed, but you feel like you're not getting that, I don't know, you're not reaping the benefits. Um, So definitely, like you said, that funding towards just getting jobs near and stimulating the businesses that we already have here um, so that younger people feel like they can stay here without having to like work super hard um to like stay afloat at that basic like just survival level for sure for sure yeah Um, i can't even imagine how tough it is right now for young people just entering the workforce graduating from college and and just seeing that there's nothing there and you're competing against people who have 20 years experience who have lost their job and and it's that's honestly been the hardest thing about this whole pandemic for me has been seeing people hurt and not being able to do much to help them other than unemployment um that was that was very hard and there were there were times where it just like was so heavy because it was just all day every day just people hurting and you just doing what you could to give them just a, a, a little relief, knowing that it's not enough and knowing that it's not really what they want. They want a job. And, and it's just, that was, that's by far, and it's calmed down a lot, but I, and thank you for reminding me of that because that was really like um, March, April, May, it was the hardest part of this. It was the hardest part. And, um, you know, everyone liked it at first, you know, when they were watching the tiger King or whatever that show was. And, you know, everyone loved it then, but then once the jobs went away, it was very, it was hard. And, and we have to remember that we're not back. And that's why I actually support, you know, what the, the federal government's doing with this next round of, um, COVID relief, because I think it's so important to, to get that money out to folks and create opportunities. And I think that that's, you know, anything we can do to, to, I don't want to say goose the egg, but to support growth and to support viable jobs, we need, we need to do that. And that's really what's hard. And there was one, one question on here that we were talking about in terms of like health and the clean air act. And, and right now that's, you know, one of my colleagues brought that up and then, you know, so everyone wants clean air and everyone wants you know, to get rid of smoking and then, but at the same time, I have the casino saying, if we quit smoking here, we're going to lose 30% of our business because in the other States where we have casinos and they quit smoking, we lost 30% of our business. And so that means 30% of the jobs gone. That means 30% of the revenue's gone. So you, you do these 
you have to make tough decisions. And that's how it was with COVID. You know, nobody wanted to shut down restaurants. Nobody wanted to, you know, shut down the entire country. Um, but we didn't know what we didn't know back then. And it was, you were, you were making decisions based on what limited information you had. And now that we know more, um, you know, we've learned to, and things have changed. We had, we didn't have the PPP, like nobody had a mask. It's not like people were like knitting masks or, you know, making, sewing masks. They weren't ready in March, you know? And, and so uh, as we've built up the infrastructure that we need, and we're still not there in many places, um, we're going to learn to live with this, but um, for a lot of people, they're still suffering. And that, that I think has been the hardest part of this. I didn't, did I answer your question or not? I don't know if I answered it, but. I think you answered it to the best of your ability. I know it's a really hard spot to be in. Like you said, there's pros and cons for everything. Um, I definitely, like you said, I think it's calming down a little bit more, but I think it's still like for me and like for a lot of kids I graduated with, it's still like a very real reality. Um, like it's still very much like first thought every time I go in the morning, like how am I paying my bills and things like right. that, right? right. Um, but I think you answered it to the best of your ability. Yeah. And I really thank you for giving me that time and this, yeah. this space, you know, to even give you my feedback in terms of what I'm thinking about. For sure. What I'd love to see too is two things at the federal level. Um, one is a federal infrastructure bank. We've done, we did one um, probably about 70 years ago now. And um, a federal infrastructure bank would allow us to, um, you know, borrow that money to rebuild our roads and bridges and, and put people in the construction trades, which then stimulates the economy. And, and what I'd love to see is high speed rail through the United States from that infrastructure bank. Uh, I think that would put people to work and stimulate the economy. But then the other thing that I think we need to seriously look at is if is um, bringing back some type of like we did during um, the recovery from the Great Depression, either a civilian conservation corps or a Works Progress Administration, something um, for young people who who are able bodied and want to work and just don't have work. I think they'd much rather do something than just get a check from the government and sit on the their couch, you know, people want to be productive and, um, and have value to their life and have meaning to their life. And I think that, you know, those are some things at the federal level we need to look at. And not to interrupt you, Blaine or Ashlyn, um, I think that even just like you said, um, just giving the opportunity for like constituents to like it, like give you their feedback like I think that's really important like I think it's super cool that you asked that question and I think that like we shouldn't be shocked that our representatives are asking us like how can I be better um, so I really like I think that's something that like through town halls and I'm sure you do that this already um through town halls and just meeting with different community groups and asking that question like that's a super important question to ask <laughs> thank you thanks it's, it's I, I, for me, and I, I, ne I always wonder what I can be doing better. I never feel like I'm doing enough. And it's very, um, it drives my wife crazy. <laughs> She's like, you got a family here too. But I'm always thinking of stuff, you know, for the community. And I'm always thinking of stuff for the, the city. And, and I love this city. I wouldn't have been on city council if I didn't love the city. And so um, always trying to just 
do what I can to be better. And I don't, you know, the, the tough thing is when you're unable to help, that's when it's the most frustrating, but yeah, Blaine. And, and, and if you guys want to chime in with anything or any questions or how I can be better or what, what you think this community needs that maybe you think the state could help with. Um, I was going to say, uh, I'm from Harrisburg originally. Okay. So uh, I was recruited out of Harrisburg uh, in the connector industry there to go come up here to Erie. Um, I think the one thing, my glasses keep reflecting. Um, I think the one thing uh, that as a central Pennsylvania native and coming to Erie is don't, I, I don't think the rest of the state recognizes the fact that Erie's here. That's um, for sure. 100% so, agree with you. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's anything on your plate to do or whatnot. I, maybe it's on us to get a little bit louder. Um, I call it GOB. We're geographically out of bounds. They think yeah. we're in Ohio. Yeah. I had to explain, and I don't want to interrupt you, but I did have to explain because it was funny. Uh, I told my colleagues from Philadelphia, they got so confused. I said, I'm three hours from Toronto. And they're like, how is that even possible? And I was just like, I'm in Pennsylvania, I swear. I said, <laughs> I said I'm closer to Toronto than I am to you guys by a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, with being, you know, uh, from Harrisburg. And, you know, I've, tra I've traveled the five-hour ride on 80 on the turnpike and back yeah. and forth. A few times, family's still down there. So, uh I think the only thing, yeah, for me is, you know, make sure, uh, uh, don't forget about us down here. I know you're working towards that and you're constantly working for us. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think uh, it's on us now to be louder and make ourselves recognized by the rest of the state in general. And, uh, yeah. So. Well, definitely. I know you, the whole delegation and we're very lucky, you know, uh, Kurt Sunny, who's in Northeast, he's a Republican, you know, Harkins, who's on the east side of the city. Uh, I have, And he has Lawrence Park in Wesleyville. And then I have the west side of the city and then Bell Valley and Summit, then Rep Bizarro. And then, um, and then in the far Western end, we have uh, Brad Roy who goes down into Crawford County and then Park Wentling who goes down. He actually has a thin line from the Lakeshore down to Mercer County. But all five of us um, care about this community and wanna see it do well. Um, obviously, um, with, you know, Representative Sonny Harkins, Bizarro, and myself actually living in Erie County, um, you know, we're always fighting and we work well together. We're always fighting for this community, but, and we work well together, speaking with one voice for uh, Erie County when we're down there. And since we've been doing that, I think it's, and I came in when they were already, they already started doing this and I just kind of plugged into it. Um, but they said before it was a lot harder to get things for Erie. And um, I don't think like I, we were talking about the 23 million, very few communities of our size got that much money. And part of the reason for that was we had everybody rowing in the same direction. And even our Senator, Senator Laughlin and Senator Brooks, everybody was speaking with one voice. And, and when you have that consensus and all, you know, seven of us, plus the County executive, plus the mayor all saying the same thing, it's a lot easier for the governor to sign off on, on those checks. So that makes a big difference when we speak with one voice. Anybody else you wanted? I, I'm pointing like a, like a bigger, but. You know, I think Shayla and Blaine did pretty good. I don't have anything off the top of yeah. my 
I'm like the person who comes up with a thousand questions two hours later. So that's okay. Hey, and email me uh, seriously, or I'm also on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I even have a Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a TikTok, but I'm not very good at it. And I've only done like two of them. That takes a lot of work for TikTok. And I don't know if I have the time for all that, but some of them are very clever. But I haven't seen a lot of politicians that are elected officials have clever TikToks. I got to find some, but um, but I'm available on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram's pictures. That's always non-threatening and fun. And uh, you get a mix of what I'm doing for work and my kids and my wife. So, uh, so it's fun, but definitely I try to be accessible on social media because I think that's a way a lot of people communicate even more so now uh, post or in the middle of the pandemic and um, just trying to get the information out to folks and, and um, but I try to be accessible. So please tell all your members, they can follow. Most of them are just whatever it is at Bob Mersky. Yeah. And it's real. I just, I don't want to say I'm branded, but it's everything's at Bob Mersky. <laughs> it's just easy. No one has that name except for my dad and my, my grandpa who passed away and my son. So my son's not, he's going to have to figure out his own social media. As a junior <laughs> myself. Yeah. I know the struggle. I took, Oh, see now he has a different middle name than me. So at least cause uh, I, there you go. yeah. So we won't get our mail mixed up hopefully. So but I want to thank you for this opportunity too. I think it's so important um, to hear what young folks have to say. Uh, as a young year professional myself, I knew that um, I wanted to make a difference. And I, I felt like um, uh, when I was your age, I had a lot to offer. And I know that you have a lot to offer. And so that's important to me. That's important to me to listen and, and for you to have an opportunity to ask your questions and, um, and get, get an answer. And what I'd love to see once we can have a real, you know, sit down is a dialogue and just a, a, like a town hall type thing with younger professionals. I would love for that to, uh, to make that happen. And uh, I think that, you know, keep doing what you're doing, keep pushing forward and try to build it as much as you can, because I think the more people you have and the more, the more strength you have. And I think a lot of times, um, some folks, and I felt like this even when I was in younger professionals, I felt like at the beginning before, you know, my friends got me in, I'm just a teacher. Like I'm not, I, I'm professional, but I'm not really professional. But in, keep inviting people, keep welcoming people because everybody, uh, even if they're in a blue collar job or a white collar job, um, you guys are eerie and you're, you're not only the future of eerie, you're the present. And now more than ever, and you see it at all levels, um, in the business world, in the entertainment world, in the, the in government, young people are making a difference every day. And uh, I, I know that you guys have great futures ahead of you, uh, and they start right here. So thank you so much. We thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about Young Erie Professionals, head over to yepeerie.org. Once again, that is y-e-p-erie, yep, erie.org. This podcast has been produced in part by Edinburgh University Center for Branding and Strategic Communication and producer Chris Lantinen. Our music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. 
Find more information about him in our episode description.